You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. love. It's God's love. I pursue love, which means I'm not just living for myself if I'm loving as God loves, for God so loved the world that he gave. So I'm giving, not just taking. And then I pursue peace. Peace. It means as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on me, I live at peace. I'm not just arguing and in conflict all the time. And if I fail there, I humble myself and get back and have peace and peace with others and also peace with God. When you love like God loves, it's transforming. It's not easy, though. Loving like that means giving, maybe of your time or of your resources, or maybe something that you hold very closely. But that is what God did for you. And as Pastor Danny will remind you today, he gave his own son just so he could show you how much he loves you. What an incredible sacrifice. So today as you listen, ask God to show you where you can love a little more like him, and then watch what he does through it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Matthew chapter 13 with today's edition of The Living Word. None of the other 11 apostles knew that Judas had never been saved, that he was a devil from the beginning. Not until after everything had been unfolded, after he betrayed Jesus Christ, did they find out. They must have been shocked. He drives this point home. Look, verse 31 in Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Birds in the Bible always represent evil. And so the idea here in this parable, same idea, church grows and birds come and perch within the tree. And then he drives it home again. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Yeast undoubtedly in the Bible represents evil. And here again, the dough, the kingdom, the true bread, and within there you got yeast. And the idea is in the church, in the kingdom here and now, There are those who are genuine, and there are those who are not. Now, that's not the point of the message, but you need to hear that. Now, for the true wheat, for the pure bread, for the real deal, the rest is for you. Back in 2 Timothy, verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. 
If a man cleanses himself from the latter, now he's talking about the true believer. He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. I don't know anybody that's truly born again that doesn't want to be used by the Lord. Ever since I gave my life to Christ, I've wanted him to make a difference in my life. I wanted to be conformed, and I still do, into the image of Jesus Christ, but I also want him to use my life to make a difference. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a noble vessel, not an ignoble vessel. And every true believer certainly has that inner desire that you want to be a noble vessel. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I don't know if you understand, but the context of this whole section here is being a vessel of honor. Being a vessel of honor. Now, as you take it as a whole in the context, I want to pull out one statement that I think really sums it up. Okay, One statement, and you find that statement in verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You're the real deal. You really are saved. You really do know the Lord. And so if I'm going to be then a noble vessel, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth. Don't misunderstand that statement. Flee the evil desires of youth. He's writing, of course, to Timothy, but it's holy writ, and so it's meant for us, all of us as Christians. Scholars believe that Timothy at this time was about 35 years old, still younger than the Apostle Paul, but no longer a teenager, no longer a kid, And so flee the evil desires of youth, the youthful longings, the youthful lust, as one translation has it, is applicable both for the younger person in age and the older person who's never grown up. There's some men who are still boys because they've never grown up. There's some women who are still uh, girls because they've never grown up, they've never matured. And the idea here, listen, if you're going to become a noble vessel, useful to the master, then you've got to grow up. And and even the younger person can become mature. You don't have to be like everybody else. Uh, In your age bracket, you can become mature. So what I want to give you, because it's the passage, it's really the thrust of the passage, flee the evil desires of youth. I want to give you six characteristics that you're going to have to flee from and continue to flee from if you're going to be a noble vessel for the Lord. And the first is clear in the passage. And that's you've got to stop the foolish and stupid arguments. And the arguments he's talking about especially have to do uh, with the Word and with truth. You know, there's some Christians and some churches that major on the minors and minor on the majors. 
I mean, the things we argue about. You ever, you ever think of kids? You know, my kids, when they were young, they'd argue about the craziest things. And you're an adult and you're a parent, and you're going, why are you arguing about that? And as an adult now, you can't understand it, but when you were their age, you did the same thing. Listen, life is too short, and the mission is too clear to sit around and argue over non-essentials. Get on the main highway, and the main highway is Jesus and being conformed to his image, and as God is conforming us to his image, reaching out to a hurting world. Everything else is pretty much a non-essential. There's so many things we see in a glass darkly and are not clear about, and the Bible doesn't make it clear to us, and we won't totally understand it and have all the answers until we get there. But I certainly understand clearly the most important things. Stop quarreling over words. Stop the foolish, stupid arguments, and some churches end up just arguing over stuff instead of getting busy with the mission. That's true, isn't it? Don't you do that. Don't you do that. Let me give you a second. My two favorite classes growing up in school, my two favorite classes were lunch and recess. Lunch and recess. I was, I was always excited about both of those. Here's a characteristic of youth. Here's a characteristic of youth. They always want to play. <laughs> come on. Come on. And if your kids have done this, don't you tell me. Don't you tell me. Anybody's kid, when you say, hey, would you take out the trash? And they say, praise the Lord. I've been waiting for you to ask me that. When it's time to really do something responsible around the house, you know. I mean, my kids have never jumped for joy and said, oh, Mom, Dad, I, I'm so privileged to be able to do that. But that's just, that's just the way a young person is. That's just a characteristic. They always want to be entertained. They always want to play. And a youthful temptation is shirking responsibility just to have fun. Just to have fun. Let me tell you a third. You take a kid into Walmart, what do they gravitate to? Oh toy section. Oh, I remember as a kid, man, I could not wait for the Sears Christmas catalog. I mean, I'm kidding. That's when, you know, they used to send them out to everybody. You get this thick catalog, you know, and I knew right where to go. I was a professional. I knew right where to go. Man, I'd go right to the toy section, and I'm checking out every toy, and I'm, oh, man, I got them all picked out. Oh, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. I'll never forget the fire truck I got. Oh, Man, got up one Christmas morning, walked in there and there, this thing, you know, I was so excited. Maybe yours wasn't a fire truck. Maybe yours was a Corvette. And guess what? Some of us still that way, and we're older now, and we're on our own. And you go see the real Corvette right up the road. Here, here's the deal. A youthful temptation is, is just to want more. You take a kid in a candy store, oh, can I have this? Can I have, can I have that? Can I have, and there's never enough. Never enough. Listen, listen to this proverb. Proverbs 30, 15, the leech has two daughters. Give, give, they say. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land, which is never satisfied with water, and fire, which never says enough. Now, if I were writing the Bible, now, I, thank God I didn't, but if I were writing it, I'd add one more. And parents could add a fifth to that. You know what it would be? My kids. Oh, that's enough. 
Just one piece of candy. Just one toy. No, never enough. And here's the idea. This youthful temptation just to accumulate more toys, just to get more stuff. And adults fall into that. The toys just get bigger and more expensive. And some people, that's all they're living for. The bigger house, the bigger paycheck, and the nicer car. And you'll never be useful to the master. Never be a noble vessel by just trying to accumulate more stuff. Let me give you a fourth. For this one, you could write down, if you'd like to turn to it, you can. 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, is now on the throne. And the story here, beginning in verse 3, says, So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. One of the things Solomon did later in his, um, in his kingship and his rule is he taxed the people very heavily. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. And so the people went away. And then, verse 6, King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. And these guys had seen the good things about Solomon in the early days, and then they saw the failure as he got older. And so they replied, if today you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. These are his buddies his pals. He asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer? How would you answer these people and, and uh, say to me, lighten, who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Tough guys. You tell them how tough you are, and you show them how tough you are, man. That's bad advice. And here's the deal. Another youthful temptation that you got to be careful about and flee, and that is just getting advice from people that are your pals and your buddies. I'm not saying they won't sometimes give you good advice, but a lot of times they won't give you good advice. You ask them advice about whether they should submit to their parents or hide behind their back something, you know, because your, your, your buddies might be doing the same thing, and so what are they going to tell you to do? They're going to tell you how to hide it from your parents better. No, no, no. You want to be a noble vessel, useful to the master? Then you find a godly Christian man, a godly Christian woman, and when you need advice... You go and say, I got this decision I make. I got this thing, and I, I need some help. Could you help me? Would you not only pray for me? Do you have any advice for me? That's a wise thing. That's why I don't believe as a pastor, groups in the church should be so divided that you're never around people that are not your peers. Let me read you something real quick. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Titus chapter 2, 
you must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good. Now, I wouldn't put a rule to make it happen, but I love life groups that have different ages. I love life groups that have single people that are younger, that have married couples, that have older people, that have... Uh, widows and widowers, and there's such a godly thing that happens in that kind of group because you're able to watch, observe, and be around people that are not your peers. And that's one of the natural ways that older saints train younger saints, just by their example, just by life. Well, there's one more I want to share. Actually, two more. I think this is number five. I have taught so many times since Thursday, I don't even know. What day is it? <laughs> so watch out that you don't separate yourself from wise counsel. Look to men and women that are older and been down the road longer, including your mom or dad. There's a fifth one that's a youthful temptation, and this one, this one, this is the one where, where the kid can't wait to get out of the home. Because now they can go where they want to go and stay up as long as they want to. And they can call the shots and don't have to be uh, in submission to mom or dad. And they can do what they want to do now. That's what the prodigal wanted. And it's interesting, the prodigal, it was the younger son that said, give me my inheritance. And he went off and blew it all. But if you're a Christian now, listen, if you're a Christian, even when you're out from under mom and dad, you're not to be independent. Independence for the Christian that's not biblical at all, because God always has authority, godly authority, especially in the church. You always have pastors and elders, whether you're independent from mom or dad or not. So be careful for that youthful desire to just call the shots and be on your own, and now I'm going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. But if you're a Christian, what does the Lord want you to do? Then there's one more. One more pretty obvious one. When all of a sudden puberty happens and all of a sudden you get this desire that you wanted to stay away from the girls when you were just a little kid, you know, you don't want to hang around with the girls, you want to hang around with the boys. Now all of a sudden, you don't want to just hang around with the girls. You kind of like to touch one. And you have a natural, God-given desire, a sexual desire. God put that there. That's from God. But now, because it's our character that needs to be changed, not God's character, and God wants us to make him like himself, us like him, and guess what he is? He's pure. You want to be a vessel of honor? You better flee sexual sin. You better flee sexual temptation. Flee. You know, it's gotten real quiet on this point every single service. I'm amazed saddened, grieved. And I don't have a perfect track record even as a Christian, you know, because it's such a struggle. Sexual purity. You, and you think marriage is going to solve that. Listen, I'm a happily married man, and I still have to flee 
youthful temptation in regard to sexual sin. Every day. Flee. But I, I, I'm so sad and there's so much sexual immorality in the church. You know, again, in a crowd uh, this size, there's probably not only some weeds, uh, there's maybe some true saints. Maybe you're really born again. But if you're really born again, how can you live in that sexual immorality? How can you live with that person uh, that's not biblically your husband and not biblically your wife? You really ought to examine your heart. Do you really, have you really been born again? And if you are born again, your conscience, you've defiled your conscience. And you've defiled that person. And you're sinning against that person. And you're sinning against God. You talk about an ignoble vessel, a vessel of dishonor. When you get involved sexually with someone that's not biblically your husband and not biblically your wife, whether you're living with them or you're just hanging out with them and, and sleeping with them every now and then or however often you do it. Once you start, it usually happens quite a bit. Very hard to stop once you start. Boy, it's quiet, isn't it? But God's speaking to you? Come on. Maybe you're not involved with somebody physically. Maybe it's not a, a, a real relationship. But listen, pornography, especially among men, is ruining men. It's ruining. There's somebody in this room right now, maybe probably more than one, and pornography. You may be a married person. You may be married, and yet you're involved in pornography. Listen, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. And that's one sin. That's one sin that I've seen so many times. I, I don't see guys really getting free from it and staying free from it. If they keep it just between them and the Lord, you've got to tell somebody you trust and somebody you love. You tell another brother. You tell a pastor. You tell an elder. Say, i got a problem. I need help. I need to be free from this. And that confession will be your initial, initial freeing and loosing the chains because it is a chain. It locks you in. And you can say, I don't want to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. And then you're doing it again. You better go to somebody and confess it. And I would do that with any sexual sin. Get free. Get free. Get clean. Get clean. Come on, man. Don't you want to be clean? Pure before the Lord. Noble vessel. One that he can use. And you honor him because of your commitment. So you flee these youthful things. And then the last part, and this is where we close. You pursue. What do I pursue now? Now that I said no to those things and no to whatever it is that is a youthful longing, youthful desire, no matter what my age, and then I pursue righteousness. Righteousness is just doing what's right based on this book. I'm going to stop doing what's wrong and I'm going to start doing what's right with the help of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start living right instead of wrong. And I pursue faith. 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 What is faith? Faith is seeing what is unseen and living life in regard to that. In other words, you're not living for just this world. You see by faith the world that as a kingdom in heaven that will one day come to this earth. And you live for that kingdom here and now. And you pursue love. Love. Love, it's God's love. I pursue love, which means I'm not just living for myself if I'm loving as God loves, for God so loved the world that he gave. So I'm giving, not just taking. And then I pursue peace. Peace, it means as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on me, I live at peace. I, I'm not just arguing and in conflict all the time. And if I fail there, I humble myself and get back and have peace. And peace with others and also peace with God. 
and have the peace of God. My conscience is clear. I say, Lord, I'm yours, and I want you to use me, and I want to be an honorable vessel. And boy, that's, that's a life of peace there. So what is it God said to you? You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time today to learn more from the book of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote some very wise words and advice to Timothy, encouraging him to keep pressing on to a greater goal than the things even in this world. This is a timely word for you today. Don't get stuck in a rut of worries or allow the world to squash your hopes down in despair. Keep pushing forward towards a goal and a prize that Jesus wants to gift to you. If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our teaching archive at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you join us. Calvary Chapel Fellowship meets on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. If you're unable to be with us in person, you're always welcome to join us in our live stream services. Find the link to that as well as our YouTube channel on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's it for today, but thanks for tuning in with Pastor Danny to learn more from the book of 2 Timothy as we dive into The Living Word.